Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 68 for July the 22nd, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Chris Braun. Chris is the Threat Operations Manager for Sophos Labs here in Vancouver. Welcome, Chris. Good to be back. And this week, we just had kind of a pile of news. I even had to take a few things off the agenda because there's been a lot of stories going on for the week. So we're just going to kind of talk about a few of the more interesting bits that might have application to IT managers and folks out there in a practical way, which I think the first one's kind of interesting. Uh, Secunia, the security firm out of Europe that does a lot of patch management things for uh, a lot of ho free version for home users of their PSI tool, but they also have corporate stuff around patch. They released their mid-year threat report, um, which we're just about to do. Our mid-year threat report comes out at the end of July. So we've been working hard on preparing that. But Secunius is out. And, you know, one of the big findings uh, they had was just around, you know, uh, I guess everybody's getting better at patching Microsoft is one conclusion mm -hmm. when Windows updates come out or WSS for corporates, people are doing pretty pretty well at that now. Yet, the, the vast majority of, of vulnerabilities are actually existing now in third-party stuff. And I think the stats they were saying was 31% of vulnerabilities uh, on an average XP desktop were in, were in Microsoft products. They're right. managed through Windows Update. Yeah. And the other 69%, of course, were in third-party plugins. And, uh, you know, I was asking you kind of before the podcast, like, you know, what, does that kind of line up? What do we see most frequently in Sophos Labs when it comes to exploits? Because I know fake AV and other things we see are often social engineering Trojans. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of, you know, real actual things exploiting flaws as well. What what do we see? Yeah, I would say that uh, what we do see most often are document formats uh, when it comes to exploits uh, because... Often there are things that are getting emailed around. There are things that are kind of combined with a phishing attack. And so they're going to be whatever is going to be software that is on the machine. And sometimes it's Office, but a lot of the time it's going to be PDF. It's going to be some document format that in contains Flash and is going to use that. Uh, so, so often what we're seeing, we're actually, and uh, also we do see a good number of, of Java exploits um, because Java is going to be installed on so many machines and will we'll render in the browser. So that, does that vary then, I guess, by the attack vector? And like in email, we primarily see document formats, but perhaps yes. on the web, we might more frequently see just straight out Flash or Java exploits. That that's true, and and in addition, uh, often PDF on the web too, because uh, a lot of browsers will just render that right away without prompting the user. So so basically, anything that the browser will run and display right away, we're seeing get attacked, and and a lot of those are not Microsoft formats. Yeah, and I, I actually point out during my anatomy of attack uh, presentations I do to folks that it's a really good practice to disable the browser plugin capability mm -hmm. of Acrobat, um, mm -hmm. whether you're using IE or Firefox, because it's not that inconvenient to get the little prompt that comes up going, open or save as, I'm a bad .pdf. Right. Um, and they were like, what? I didn't try to open a PDF. I was just trying to go to see this video yes. of a crocodile eating a porcupine or whatever it was, <laughs> right? And, you know, at least you have a chance to back out at that point. Whereas mm -hmm. if not, it just silently loads and you don't even know you got hit with a PDF. You, you can't even explain to your IT guy. You're like, I don't know. I just went to a website. Right. So that could yeah. be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about the people, uh, about everyone getting good at uh, updating Microsoft, I think the thing that that shows is that Microsoft has a regular release cycle. People are ready for it. They know it's coming. They know how to update. The interesting thing from this report is that uh, organizations would have to use something like 21 different update programs that are going to be on different cycles. We're just trying to get the major vendors onto a regular cycle, let alone some of these lesser ones and, and different programs. It's just 
too much to manage in many cases. Yeah, at least Adobe is part of Map now. And I think mm-hmm. that for people that care at all about Adobe security, they're able to keep up to date quite well. I think part of the problem is a lot of home users still have Acrobat 8 that doesn't have an auto updater. Right. And because PDFs still open, they don't think they have a problem. They don't see any reason or even understand that there may be an Adobe Acrobat X available that could mm-hmm. protect them well. So hopefully, at least in the corporate space, we're seeing most organizations adopting nine or higher, which means that auto updating is at least a capability and it's manageable in Acrobat X. Uh, and Adobe, of course, is following Microsoft's schedule of quarterly instead of monthly, but it's predictable, which brings me actually, I'm going to skip a topic and come back to it on my list here. I'm, I, I do my lists in reverse Polish notation. Um, I, Oracle patched 78 flaws in their products, including your favorite um, Java, Oracle Java. It still sounds strange to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, um, I don't know if you have an opinion about this, but I've been on a rant about Oracle for the better part of two years now, just wondering why can't they more predictably and more frequently release these updates? I mean, 78 in one go. Uh, How long have we been exposed to these known flaws in their database products, their Java product? I mean, we know we see Java being exploited every day in the lab, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, it just seems kind of crazy that to pull up 78 at a go, um, yeah, anyway, I think everybody knows how I feel, but I don't run Java on any of my machines anymore. I, I don't really have any good reason for it. And in a lot of places, I don't think, you, I mean, most web applications aren't, don't need Java, full Java. People confuse Java and JavaScript and think, oh, I'm going to cripple the web if I turn off Java. Yes. And it's not really the, tr- the truth. I mean, JavaScript is totally unrelated to Java other than it accidentally or maybe intentionally has a similar name, but they're mm-hmm. unrelated. So... Disabling Java, I didn't. I haven't noticed really. I haven't, other than I can't go to Java.com. But <laughs> right, I mean, in my experience, most of them are internal uh, use applications. So if you can, uh, you know, write an exclusion or have it enabled just on your internet, if it's necessary for for some kind of corporate app, go for it. But but on the wild web, not really needed in many cases. Well, I guess and that's another point. A lot of these corporate apps are Java applications, not Java applets. So if you don't need Java applets for your application, you could just disable it in your browser and pretty much feel comfortable that you're reasonably safe unless your users are tricked into downloading a jar and know how to run the jar file. Um, but it's something to look at. It's another one of these applications. That, well, going back to Secunia's report, I think they come to a similar conclusion that we come to. Uh, it's why we have application control built into our product reduce the attack surface or the, uh, the less programs you're running the easier it is to stay up to date if you don't need java if you don't need shockwave flash if you don't mm-hmm. need WinZip, get rid of it like windows has had zip for 11 years now mm-hmm. um do we really need you know every machine to have a WinZip license loaded on it nothing against the WinZip folks it's a fine product but you know reduce the threat surface and it makes your life easier and more secure i mean it's it, it's rare that security yeah. and convenience come together while, while we're on the topic, uh, a tip from a friend of mine here is uh, if you have firewall enabled, make sure that you disable outbound uh, traffic requests from Java unless you have a good reason to have it because a lot of malware is using Java downloaders. So uh, it'll come, it'll run the downloader, the downloader will go and pull the, the malware down. But unless you have a good reason to have Java you know, outbound to the, the internet, 
uh, you don't need to have that in most organizations and you'll block it right there, stop the threat chain and you won't get the, the payload that would normally come down. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. People might, when we talk about Java being a risk, people might confuse that with malware being written in Java. Now, mm-hmm. there, there is Java malware, but typically what we're seeing is just the downloader written in Java, using it as a vehicle to go retrieve a more traditional Windows executable file that's the actual payload, the actual right. spam code or botnet well, code. Sometimes these these Java downloaders do have an exploit that is what gives them the privilege of to to get this from a sandboxed environment into something that's running on the machine uh, under the user account. So sure, yeah, yeah. So that's but, sometimes where it comes in. But the, the but the botnet code itself or whatever the oh, fake AV is right. going to be written typically in C or yes, whatever, and yes, it's not yes. necessarily Java itself. It's just Java's just one the vehicle component to get in. of the chain. Yep. Well, um, the, I'm going to go back to the original ordering now and uh, OS 10 Lion ship this week. I think, you know, we're certainly not breaking any big news there. Uh, we believe it was Wednesday. It's uh, version 10.7. You know, there's some interesting security bits in there. I think that the full shakeout of what's going to happen uh, or, you know, what the pros and cons are, it's going to take a little while because Apple introduced some features that supposedly are secure but could have security implications where some really other obvious things they did are really great and they should be applauded. Uh, One thing, uh, the biggest thing I think that we'd all been talking about for quite some time is kind of a full implementation of ASLR similar to what they've done on iOS. So oddly, the mobile platform, I think, got a better stab at this earlier than the desktop platform, but now they both have pretty solid ASLR implementations. Mm-hmm. ASLR is the address space layout randomization, and and that's a really fancy way of saying move the important bits of the operating system around in memory every time you boot so that they're not predictably somewhere that can be attacked. Yes. And uh, so that's pretty good that I, they did that. I think it's key. I, I predict that, you know, within... Weeks or a couple months, we'll get some academic paper that will say, actually, this new technique can be defeated with this kind of workaround or something like that. But often those academic uh, attacks don't translate into actually actionable uh, attacks. So I, th- I, I, I agree. I applaud Apple for doing it. I find these things make it just that much harder. So you have to work you make the malware authors work that much harder to get past. And then in doing so, they need to do things that are easier for us to block in other ways. Um, it's always a good thing to make the, the job harder. Yeah, I think what we see from a lot of this is that when you need to defeat things like uh, data execution prevention in Windows 7 combined with ASLR, because mm-hmm. really they have to go hand in hand because without both, they kind of are, are kind of pointless. Right. Um, but the you kind of narrow down the root number of families of malware out there that know how to exploit it because yeah. it's too difficult. There's only mm-hmm. a few clever guys who are willing to put their effort into making something malicious to get around all those safeguards. And then the other guys might just vary on that, but they don't really even understand how it works. They don't right. understand return-oriented programming or all this kind of stuff. So, it, you know, it, it does, um, it is a win. And, of course, the lose is that we'll have Windows 98 on some computer somewhere for another six or seven years. You know, it takes a long time for these things to become ubiquitous and normal, but it, we got to start somewhere. Yep. So here we go. <laughs> and that kind of leads right into one of the other features, uh, automatic security updates. Apparently, you're no longer going to get a dialog box saying Apple updates are available. Click here to see what they are. Do you want to install them now? It's the 742 megabyte HP printer driver update. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not that that's ever happened to me and slowed me down from getting out the door in an emergency. But, uh, you know, I don't know if I like this. I mean, this is kind of a continuance of Apple's total disregard for the corporate user. Uh, you know, I've got a MacBook without a dock. I can't conveniently bring it into my office. 
Uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to centrally manage. And now I have no change control. I have no idea to know when and why I might get an update. And I don't even know if I can control it. Like, what if I'm on my MiFi and I'm paying, you know, $10 a gigabyte because I'm roaming in another country? What happens? Like, am I just going to pull down a gigabyte of Lion updates? Um, it makes me very uncomfortable to think that that... I'm wondering if there's some disable mechanism or something to control it some way. Because I would say that's the right call. I would say if you're, you know, if you're like Apple and the majority are home users, you do have an opt-out uh, would be great. But you do need to have that opt-out for, for people like you and potentially me that, that would want to disable that feature. I don't but think, I think we're that rare, though. I mean, yeah. most people I know aren't buying Mac Pros. They're buying Mac Books, and they're carrying them everywhere they go with them. Right. And they're trying to use open Wi-Fi, and they're trying to, you know, and, and if you, I mean, it's clearly they, uh, bandwidth must be really, really plentiful in Cupertino, <laughs> because every time you go to do anything with Lion, it downloads another three and a half gig copy of it. It doesn't keep a copy on your hard drive that's handy. If it needs it, it just goes and downloads it again and again and again. And if you've got four Macs, you have to download it four times at three and a half gigs a pop. And then Comcast comes calling, wanting to know why your bandwidth usage is so high and accuses you of being a pirate. Right. So there's some weird things going on there. It's, not, it's kind of typical Apple. It's, Apple. it's what's convenient for them, not, not what's convenient for you. And then they'll sell it to you with a shiny wrapper and you'll feel really good about it. Um, the other big security thing, I think, is the File Vault 2. And a lot of people are billing this as full disk encryption. I want to clarify that it is not full disk encryption. It is partition encryption, which is a, a bit of a niggle. To, 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 you know, to pick on, sure. but it, it is different than our safeguard disk encryption for Mac, which by the way, Sophos users do not upgrade to Lion if you're using our disk encryption. Uh, Sophos antivirus says of 7.3 is perfectly fine for Lion. It was ready for Lion when it shipped. And if all you're using is our AV, just make sure you're up to date and go ahead and do your update. No problem. But if you're a safeguard disk encryption user for Mac, do not update until we release our uh, updated version because we need to make ourselves compatible with the new OS and kernel and things. And it's taking a little longer than we were able to guess the surprise release date from Apple. So uh, hang in there, folks. But if you aren't using our product and you're interested in using the Fall Vault 2, it does now, instead of just encrypting your home directory, it now encrypts your Time Machine backups, and it encrypts the full partition that OS X is installed to. So that's a step forward. It's not quite yep. as good as the full disk, but it's darn close, and it looks to be getting good reviews, so people seem to be pleased with it. Um, and that's pretty much it on Lion, I think. There's a few other bits and pieces that uh, others have documented that are that are there that have security implications, but I haven't had enough time to honestly know mm -hmm. whether I'm reading a marketing billet or whether it, you know it's got merit, and I know things like the SLR have merit, so I thought they were worth pointing out to our listeners. Um, Android Zeus is on the list because uh, it looks like that that Android's the newest mobile platform to get a Zeus variant. And you mentioned I didn't even know this has happened. You mentioned there was a a BlackBerry variant, uh, apparently a Symbian variant as well. Yep. Yeah, we've we've seen it basically on every mobile platform. Uh, it, it really seems like this gang has you know good product project management product management they they identify and meet their release goals they seem to target every platform and develop versions for it 
It's uh, just like the Angry Birds guys. It's everywhere. Exactly. No. <laughs> Except Angry Birds isn't on BlackBerry yet, uh, but you can you can get Zeus on your BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize. I thought the Angry Birds had to be on the playbook, no. but I haven't been oh, brave enough to playbook. play with the playbook yeah, yet. Maybe, uh, maybe playbook. I, I, I should make a disclaimer that Chris is a former RIM employee. but uh, So, you know, I guess... What, we should probably wanted... talk about what Zeus actually does. Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, this is the reason I want to bring it up, is um, mm-hmm. the, the idea that people are starting to think that their mobile phone can replace a two factor token Mm -hmm. and i think that's the purpose of zeus is to break that yeah yeah well zeus i mean we've seen for a long time on the desktop and it's it's a gang that their sole um, mode of operation is getting money out of your bank account so they must have you know all the the background information to have the 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 people to you know get the money that they've transferred out and carry it and all those kind of jobs yeah so So they they got the cashers and the mules and all the different bits and pieces all of that so then banks come along and they say, well, we're going to make this more secure because when you log in, we'll send you an SMS message and only you with your phone are going to be able to have this. Great. We cut the the hackers out. So then the hackers think, well, I guess we need to get access to those SMS messages. And sh- turns out that on most platforms, it's not very hard if you can get software on there to redirect every SMS message or ones that look a certain way to a different phone uh, phone number or uh encode them as an internet message and basically send them somewhere where the attackers can get all of these codes at the same time and they could give you the same code or they might even translate the code so that you can't get access but then they can also oh, the code remains valid because it hasn't been used yet right and uh, yeah that's an interesting point because i guess this this opens up new markets for them if they want to venture into them as well because google offers like an sms uh version of authentication for their services which right. certainly a google plus account is becoming as valuable as a facebook account if you want mm-hmm. identity information about someone mm-hmm. um world of warcraft i think uses similar things or has similar options available for mobile phones so that you can secure your your wow gold and and i guess you know we've seen lots of fraud in the past around people wanting to acquire wow items and, yep. and gold online and farming and all these other things they call them so um you know who knows what the zeus guys will do if they're just going to target bank customers or if they want to you know all these different services that are starting to do this uh, i think paypal as well does an sms service and that so. could be very lucrative for uh, yeah. for a criminal so keep so an far, eye out everything folks. we've I mean, just seen loading random apps on your phone may not be such a exactly. good idea a pirated version of angry birds from yep. the chinese app store is probably not the exactly best idea it. and being careful with links that you follow on your device uh, a number of these have been distributed with phishing like emails saying you need to install this banking security software uh you know that that obviously banks are not going to ask you to do that uh, even though it's harder on your mobile the same rules apply as your desktop exactly. if you're interested in something from bank of america go into your browser and type bank of yes. or boa.com or whatever your bank might be and trust no one and you're mm-hmm. not being paranoid as i said before the podcast you're just being prudent um and I, i'm going to give a quick plug for the anatomy of attack seminar i do i'm going to be in chicago on august the 24th at the jw marriott on state street and uh, if you're in the chicagoland area and are wanting to either meet me or come out and uh and get some education about what we do at Sophos Labs. Um, we'll, we'll have a mostly day-long event, free lunch. Just come out to uh, and and go to our threat center, or no, I'm sorry, I think it's our security news and trends area, and there's some links, or you can search anatomy of an attack. And uh, I spend a couple hours explaining the who, the what, the why, and the how of what's happening in malware right now. Then we do a, uh, we have lunch, we have a live malware demo where I demonstrate uh, SQL injection attack and different types of attacks that we see in the wild and show how people can commandeer 
access to your computer. And then uh, we do some giveaways. We have a lot of fun. So if you have a chance, come out and see us. August 24th in Chicago. In September, we will be in Phoenix and Denver. And in October, I will be in Barcelona at Virus Bulletin. And then after that, I will be in Toronto and Washington, D.C., also doing Anatomy of an Attack. So on that note, that wraps up Suffa Security Chat Chat, Chat 68. For July the 22nd, as always, for the latest news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com via RSS on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next time, stay secure.